You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. More warnings about Russians in the North American power grid. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security announces formation of a national risk management center. Costco's preparation may have rendered the shipper more resilient to the cyber attack it sustained. Congress worries over election hacking and deep fakes. Electronic warfare is back, and an altcoin platform is hacked. A carter goes to jail, an alleged sim swapper is arrested, and coaches behave badly. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 31st, 2018. Warnings about Russian compromise of the U.S. power grid continue. Again, nothing has happened yet to disrupt electrical power generation or distribution, but it's worth noting that the cyber battle space seems to have been prepped. Attacks that destroy equipment are more worrisome than are attacks that amount to short-term power outages, as Control Global's Unfettered blog points out. One hopes the power industry takes preparation to heart. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is announcing today the formation of a National Risk Management Center. Secretary Nielsen introduced the center during a government-sponsored conference in New York City. It's seen as a response to growing recognition that cyber attacks by sophisticated nation-state adversaries can cause systemic failure across society at large. One of the critical infrastructure sectors of most concern is, of course, the power industry, DHS personnel will work both in a new headquarters and embedded with industry partners. Here's one encouraging story about the benefits of preparation. The cyber attack that hit shipping firm Costco at its port of Long Beach Terminal seems to have been contained and overcome without significant operational disruption. The Journal of Commerce credits this to Costco's advanced preparation for dealing with just such an attack. Go and do likewise, power industry. When a lot of people hear critical infrastructure, they think about the electrical grid. That's Mark Orlando. He's chief technology officer with Raytheon's Cyber Protection Solutions Group. Critical infrastructure encompasses far more than that. Uh, everything from life safety systems and telecommunications to oil and gas systems to many, many other industries. So it's a very large space to protect. And unlike the IT world, the information technology world, there's not a lot of standardization in that domain, in the critical infrastructure domain. So understanding the threats, how we can gain visibility into those threats, and then how we can defend that infrastructure is much more of a challenge than it is in the IT world. Well, let's walk through uh, you know, some of the steps that would be taken if someone were looking to, to do us harm from a critical infrastructure point of view. Where do they begin? Right. So the first step in any attack is reconnaissance. And 
in most cases, reconnaissance does not involve touching or connecting to the target system. It involves gathering information, doing research about the target system, doing research about the organization in which that system resides. Organizations connected to that organization. So suppliers, research into who the business partners or suppliers, or in some cases, the customers and users of that system, uh, where they reside, how data traverses those different environments, how control systems interact with that target system, really attempting to understand not only how that target system works, key pieces of information like the manufacturer, if it's running any kind of software, what kind of control systems are in place, but also how it's situated within the environment. So for example, if we're talking about a control system in the electrical grid, uh, power distribution, for example, is that system connected in any way to an IT network where you might have user systems? Uh, are there supplier networks where you might have a third party coming in to do maintenance on that system? These are all things that an attacker will attempt to uncover during that research phase. And so once uh, they gather the information that they think they need and, and they move on to actually uh, starting their attack, what happens then? In most of the successful attacks that we've seen, it's actually a chain of attacks where an attacker is hopping through various systems, various networks to get to that end state, that end target. In many cases, that involves compromising, again, either a third-party network, like a supplier network. Um, it involves, in many cases, targeting, targeting users with social engineering attacks, like spear phishing, for example, to gain unauthorized access to those third-party systems. And then from that point, jumping off and pivoting and looking for a way into that operational network where you can connect more directly to that target system. These systems are, are quite often one-offs, and I could see there being two sides to that. I could be, see, see that being, uh, you know, for both the attacker and the defender, uh, it could be a roadblock. Absolutely. Um, not only for the attacker and trying to gather information about a system that may not be as well documented, but also, as you said, for a defender, it's also a significant challenge. Because now we have to come up with a good way to instrument these systems so that we can understand when someone is gaining access, when someone is causing a, a troll system, for example, to send a signal to another system that might not be expected but might otherwise look normal. You know, instrumentation and making it so that we can detect these kinds of activities is also quite a challenge. But I think we definitely have a long way to go in terms of understanding at a very technical and a very tactical level how we can harden these systems to attack, how we can identify and quickly respond to attacks when they occur. That's Mark Orlando from Raytheon. Worries about influence operations or direct manipulation of midterm voting also continue. Senator Shaheen, a Democrat of New Hampshire, says that officeholders and political parties are often targets of phishing attacks and that the experience reported by Senator McCaskill, a Democrat of Missouri, isn't an outlier. Other senators are interested in seeing what can be done about deep fakes, convincing but concocting video, audio, or imagery that are thought to be the future of influence operations and black propaganda. The U.S. Army is undergoing one of its periodic rediscoveries of the importance of electronic warfare. This time, the precipitating cause is Russian jamming of U.S. forces operating in and around Syria. What's that, officer? No, we're not up to anything. It's just us out here on the police beat. 
And we see there's been another cryptocurrency theft. Kick ICO lost $7.7 million to creative destruction hacking of its tokens. The story has a happy ending so far. The platform says it has recovered the stolen tokens and is in the process of returning them to their owners. The method the thieves used, however, is interesting. Security measures used to detect theft of altcoins often rely on detecting quick, unexplained changes in the number of tokens available on the market. And this, in fact, is what Kick ICO's security did. To avoid detection, the thieves obtained the cryptographic key that controls the platform's smart contracts and used it to destroy existing coins and recreate them in the same amount. Kick ICO became aware of what was up when users complained that all of a sudden their wallets were empty. The complaining users reported the loss of an aggregate of about $800,000, but upon investigation it turned out that the criminals were more ambitious by an order of magnitude. Checkpoint reports that a criminal going by the name Master134 is running a successful malvertising campaign across the high-bids advertising platform. Master134 has redirected stolen traffic from more than 10,000 compromised WordPress sites and resold it to Adstera, which in turn sold the traffic to advertising resellers. The malicious advertising carries ransomware, Trojans, and so on. The hijacked traffic gives an initial appearance of connecting to legitimate sites and well-known brands, so beware. Proofpoint describes a new version of AZO RALT it's observed in the wild. AZO RALT is an information stealer and downloader first noticed in 2016, where Proofpoint found it as a secondary infection of the Chthonic banking trojan. This version retains the original functionality but seems improved in every respect. Shortly after it appeared on the black market, it was seen distributing Hermes ransomware. As an effective downloader, it can of course be used to install any variety of different payloads. Russian debit card fraudster Mikhail Molyikin, who took a guilty plea back in 2016, has been sentenced. The judge, presiding over his case in the U.S. Federal Court for the Central District of California, called his crime reprehensible and sentenced him to 70 months in prison. Molyikin's theft, amounting to some $4.1 million, affected third-party administrators of flexible spending accounts and COBRA services. One of the companies he and his five criminal associates hit was driven out of business. Molyikin will also forfeit ill-gotten gains to wit $1.3 million in cash, $22,000 in gift cards, several gold bars, and a classic pony car, a 1966 Ford Mustang. California police have arrested one Joel Ortiz, a college student from Boston, on charges alleging that he used sim-swapping to hack phone numbers and thereby steal more than $5 million in cryptocurrency. He faces 13 counts of identity theft, 13 counts of hacking, and two counts of grand theft. The San Clara County DA invites any other victims to come forward. This is grand theft, but there's petty larceny stuff out there, too. If you're a parent hoping to expose your child to good values, hard work, fair play, and so on, by getting the little nipper involved in high school athletics, think twice before sending your child to Braden River High School in Manatee County, Florida. The county school district has announced the results of an investigation into Braden River's football program. They concluded that coaches at Braden River 
accessed an online service that stores video of high school football so colleges can see prospective players. Other high schools aren't supposed to have access to the system, but this particular coaching staff is said to have watched practice video from four rival schools. The penalty, if any, has yet to be determined. But who do these guys think they are? The New England Patriots? With all this, it's pleasant, finally, to close on a positive note. The Security Industry Association has opened nominations for its 2018 George R. Lippert Memorial Award, which recognizes distinguished, long-term, selfless service to the security industry. Nominations are due by August 24th. You can learn more at securityindustry.org. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's from the Sands Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, welcome back. Um, you wanted to talk today about TLS 1.3. Uh, what do we need to know about this? Yeah, thanks for having me again. And well, TLS 1.3 is sort of in the final stages of actually becoming a real thing. Uh, the standard has been finalized and it starts to show up in uh, different implementations now. Now, the problem here is that uh, according to some people, TLS 1.3 really pushes things a little bit too far when it comes to privacy and encryption, making it very difficult for a lot of devices that have to intercept TLS to actually do their job. Uh, now, that's always controversial, of course. Now, why would you have to intercept a TLS? Well, uh, for example, load balancers have to, or many companies have systems that uh, check for data exfiltration and such. And of course, they have to intercept TLS. Now, with a TLS 1.2, it wasn't really too difficult to set up a proxy that will take care of this. TLS 1.3 makes this really difficult because, well, it makes TLS faster. In TLS, the way we use it right now, it takes about sort of uh, four or five 
round trips to actually negotiate everything, set up the TCP connection and set up TLS. With TLS 1.3, we set up the TCP connection and in some cases, ideally the TLS connection at the same time, which really cuts down this entire round trip problem. So, well, on the other hand, uh, now we don't have TCP and TLS separated, and that really breaks uh, these proxies. So lots of problems coming down the pipe here for a secure device that really try to figure out if you're going to a malicious site or if you're exfiltrating data. Now, just to back up a little bit, the TLS stands for? Transport layer security, and it's really sort of the newer version of SSL secure socket layer. So that's what we usually use with HTTPS uh, when we are going to a secure website. So what do you suspect the consequences are going to be of this rollout? Well, I think what will happen at first is that a lot of sites just won't support TLS 1.3 because they have to wait for the these man-in-the-middle device ready to become ready and uh, to really you know, support this new protocol. So I think it will delay the, the rollout first of all. In the end, we'll have to see if the added privacy is something you know, people are willing uh, to pay for in terms of not having all of their favorite websites work uh, as they expect to. And, and will it be uh, seamless to the user? How much is it going to interfere with day-to-day operations? For the user, it will be seamless if it works. Uh, now, what may, of course, happen is if you run into these cases where these uh, middle boxes uh, intercept a TLS, uh, then, of course, it may just break the site. And that obviously has a, sort of been a little bit of a problem where uh, what happens if a TLS breaks a connection? That's sort of the intent here. It wants to alert the user, hey, you know, someone is trying to mess with your connection. But uh, one problem has been in the past that then users try to find a way to get to the site without TLS. And that's, of course, actually, you know, less secure than doing it via TLS 1.2. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll see how it rolls out, as always. Thanks for sharing the information. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. <laughs>